Well, welcome back to Work Minus, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work and quick pivots you can make today to get closer to the future of work. Today, our guest is Neil Ward-Dutton. He's the founder at MWD Advisors, and this episode is Work Minus Robophobia. Hi, Neil. How are you today? I'm good, thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's always great to have someone of your caliber on the show. You've, you've done a lot of writing and researching lately, so we're excited to share your insights. Why don't you start with telling us a little bit about who you are, what types of things you do? Okay, cool. So um, I'm uh, Neil Ward Dutton. I am uh, run um, a, a boutique, I guess you call us a boutique industry analyst firm. We're focused uh, on how digital technology changes work. And fundamentally, that means figuring out how uh, how new tech is really changing the way that people make decisions, the way that work gets done and coordinated, the way that knowledge gets shared, and the way that customers get get the outcomes they want. Um, and a, a big part of that is uh, all around automation and AI, and that's I think what we're going to be talking about on this call. I've been doing this for uh, at MWD Advisors for about twelve years, uh, and for a number of years with other firms before. So. Uh, I've been around the block a few times, as they say. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure you've seen a ton of changes, especially in the recent years. And we talk about AI on the show a lot. But one of your specialties is also RPA, or robotic process automation. So why don't you bring us up to date on what RPA is? Sure. Um, yeah, so uh, robotic process automation, or RPA, is probably the most uh, aggressively uh, promoted and uh, explored topic I've come across in a long time. Um, it just seems to have gone over the last two years from very much a kind of niche concern to pretty much everybody wanting to talk about it. Um, to try and give you a very quick steer on what this is, um, at its most basic level, it's pretty simple. It's fundamentally, uh, it's software that mimics the actions of human uh, against um, some kind of legacy system or some kind of system that's not really amenable to more traditional kind of programmatic API-based integration. So um, RPA systems typically uh, will uh, have a design interface where you, you kind of capture and model the actions of people working against the screens of legacy systems. So, you know, calling up a screen, typing in some data, running a query, getting some results back, running a report, and so on. And what you can do with these systems is you can you can aggregate those, right? So you can work not only against one system, but you can actually have these these um, programs or robots, as they're called. Uh, you can have them maybe interacting with one system, maybe uh, getting data from a spreadsheet or from a database, maybe sending an email or um, running some kind of uh, automated decision in the background. Uh, so. Actually, there are some parallels with what we see in workflow, um, a design environment where you can you can specify actions and flow between actions and decisions, um, but specifically focused normally on very, very particular kinds of tasks. Um, and, and those tasks tend to be, as you might imagine, um, all very routine, often kind of clerical tasks, which are to do with simple kind of querying and updating um, of back-end systems. You do find a lot of this kind of work um, in large organizations still, a lot of this done by uh, human clerical workers, where it's, it's very routine, very rules-based, and very repetitive. 
So is RPA mostly used in uh, an enterprise environment where there's a lot of people working on these types of things? That's right. Actually, Neil, it started out um, in the outsourcing environment. So you saw um, big outsourcing companies who were already kind of, they'd already aggregating work from multiple clients um, and really looking for ways to um, improve their efficiency and improve their profitability. So they were already, if you like, in a captured way, managing a lot of very routine work on behalf of their clients. And uh, RPA technology really started out as a way to to uh, take some of the most robotic work out of the, the hands of those people running the outsourcing contracts. But it spread from there into back office and shared services environments in banking and in retail and utilities and pretty much everywhere. And it's also started to spread into places like call centers as well. And so now we've mentioned AI before. How has AI influenced RPA? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Really, the, the primary way in which um, uh, AI-related tech has started to be used in conjunction with RPA is, is in kind of capturing some of the upstream work that typically needs to get done in an RPA context. I'll, I'll be, I need to be more specific about that. So um, a kind of stereotypical scenario that you would look to address with RPA is um, dealing with very straightforward inquiries or posting of information. So uh, a great example is around um, accounts payable, where you know if you think of a really large telco or a utility or a manufacturer or something and you think about um all the invoices they might receive every month there's going to be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of these and there needs to be a process for receiving those figuring out whether they're correct whether all the data's complete um you know make, reconciling those against um, other systems of record and then paying those invoices and, and communicating back to the to the supplier right so um that's a very very um, common use case for rpa and organizations start out by getting the invoice data and then doing the simple process of kind of matching the invoice against the purchase order and checking it against you know one or two other reference systems and then making the decision paying the invoice and so on right so that's the kind of back end piece but where, our, where, where AI can be used is taking some of the front-end piece of that as well. Because what you very often find is even in really large, really well-established companies where they may already have big investments in kind of um, B2B electronic kind of networks for, for financial processing, um, a significant proportion of invoices they receive are still going to be sent over email or they might be like PDF attachments or even it might be via fax. And in that situation, like you have, think of it almost like a multi-channel problem. You've got lots of documents coming in in different formats over different channels. Be invoices. Some of them may be things sent in error, um, either accidentally or maliciously. So, um, what you find more and more organisations are doing is using um, intelligent OCR capture technology to. Uh, take incoming documents, let's say PDFs or scans, something from a digital mailroom, um, and then using uh, machine learning models to kind of pattern match and say, okay, this is an invoice of type X or type Y. I know what that looks like. 
I know because of based uh, based on past experience that the the line items are kind of at this point in the invoice, uh, and the total is over here towards the bottom right, and the PO number is uh, in the top right, not the top left, because it's from supplier X. And uh, you're able to use uh, intelligent capture AI um, tools to kind of categorize, to extract data, to clean the documents up, um, to do um, you know fuzzy matching, solve problems if it's not entirely clear where the invoices come from, for example. Sometimes even um, we see organizations looking to do machine translation on documents. So um, actually maybe if documents, perhaps not invoices, but other kinds of documents come in in multiple languages, translating those all into English, for example. So um, slightly long-winded response, but I guess um, what I'm trying to say is these technologies get used often to kind of provide uh, sensing and categorization uh, capabilities onto the front of robots, if you like, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it, obviously, the benefits are pretty straightforward. You're talking about speed, you're talking about accuracy, you're talking about reducing errors, just taking a lot of this work and, and giving it over to, you know, in some sense, not a robot like uh, the type you would see that's built by something, but a robot that's working behind the scenes, behind the screen, so to speak. So what are some of the, the other important benefits that people may not think about when they think about this RPA and AI working together? Well, the key, um, you mentioned, you know, many of the main ones, right? Um, and um, the, there's a kind of like a higher level benefit that you can get from, from these technologies, um, higher level on top of what you have identified, Daniel, around speed and accuracy and errors, um, which is around customer satisfaction. So where you, are, where you are automating aspects of kind of customer-facing processes and you're able to deliver greater speed, reduced errors, more accurate results, clearly that's going to translate into a better customer experience and higher customer satisfaction. And there's a number of, of cases you can find uh, where organizations have had great results there, just being able to respond to customers so much more quickly and more transparently. Building all that transparency thing, though, something else which very often is part of the calculation when people think about ROI and business case is regulatory compliance. Um, because in so many cases, you find, particularly in back office situations, that kind of the stuff that we don't necessarily see or even think about in large businesses, a lot of that clerical administrative work, um, you know, a lot of it's kind of opaque. It's difficult to really see what's going on. And a lot of the compliance stuff that goes on is, is actually armies of people with clipboards chasing around departments saying, okay, did you do that? Did you do that? When did you do that? Was the, did the right person do X or Y? When you start to automate um, some of these slightly more opaque parts of a business operation, you get a huge amount of transparency. So it's easy to see, not three months later, but it's easy to see right now what work is being done, where, what kinds of rules are being followed. Is the process that we identified, is that being followed? Well, you know what, if it's been automated through robotics, then it probably is following the process we designed, right? Because these things just follow rules. So that's a huge deal. Um, particularly in financial services, but actually in many, many other situations as well. Um, and you think about things like um, under the GDPR, um, the, the, the EU general uh, data protection uh, regulation, think about the rights given to um, 
people to make requests of, of companies. Like, Tell me the information you have on me or remove all my information. Those are great applications potentially for similar kind of automation. Yeah, absolutely. We've titled this show Work Minus Robophobia. So we don't want people to be uh, afraid of, of robots that's there. Why do you think the future of work is humans and robots, not humans or robots? I'm really glad you asked this question, actually, Neil, because I see so much confusion about this. And it's not helped by a lot of headlines, which are about, you know, robots are going to take our jobs. Um, and other headlines that say, you know, robots aren't going to take our jobs. And to me, um, to me, they're both both camps uh, kind of shouting across the fence at each other are actually taking aim at the wrong thing. Because from all the work we've done, what we're finding is that the impact of, of, um, of robots, you know, whether you're talking about blue collar or white collar, um, it's, it's very, very rare, actually, that you're really looking at a whole job where, where something is going to be automated. The impact is principally actually at the level of individual tasks. And there's very few jobs which are only made up of one kind of task. Um, so there are going to be, across a great number of jobs, there's going to be some tasks which are increasingly amenable to automation, whether that's RPA or whether it's kind of a, a sort of API-driven integration or workflow or you know some use of AI as part of all that stuff. Some tasks will be increasingly amenable as the technology matures to more automation. But it's going to be an awfully long time before all tasks that most people do are amenable to automation. So in the vast majority of cases, when you think about jobs and roles being done, we're going to see people and software collaborating. Um, and you know there are many, many tasks that require real expert discretion, problem solving, creativity, um, or indeed there may well be um, ethical or regulatory reasons why we just we're not comfortable with having software make certain kinds of decisions. Um, I think you know if you look at uh, the factory environment, for example, where yeah, in some factories there has been an awful lot of automation, but then if you take a step back and kind of blur your eyes a bit and look at what those factories look like, the reason why there is so much automation in them is because actually what's been done is the environment has been very strictly controlled. So the story of automation in that context is not just about the robot, it's actually about the environment. The environment has been designed as much as the robot's been designed. So you think about how these robots move through the space. Um, very often, they're following very particular paths that have to be clear. If they're not clear, everything goes to hell in a handcart. Um, or, you know, robots swinging around in space, you know, physical space. People have to be kept in very particular kinds of environment or area. Otherwise, there could be collisions, right? So it's just a reminder that actually, if you're really going for high levels of automation, it's as much about designing an environment in a very constrained way as it is about designing the automation. And so that does place restrictions on what you can realistically automate today. And maybe you know in the next five ten years, um, because the real world can't all be designed like factories. We can't control the context and the environment for work in that way, apart from in some very specific contexts. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's fascinating to think about what tasks instead of jobs are going to be taken over by certain types of robots that come through. 
Uh, do you think this is going a trend that's going to be there for a long time? Do you feel like there's going to be a golden age when humans and robots can work together on these things? But then eventually we'll, we, you know, they'll figure out a way to code all these things that we think are uncodable. What looking out, how far in the future do you think we're seeing here? Um, well, I think you know, for the next ten years, uh, it's always dangerous to think about these things and talk and go on record. Ten, I think the next ten years is going to be, um, you know, c- continued progress. Um, you know, gradual. Um, maturing of the technology to address more and more kinds of tasks, but I, uh, the, I guess uh, where I'm more cautious is when we get beyond that, you know, seven to ten years, because actually the technology is changing so rapidly, it's it's very very difficult to t- say with any kind of certainty what kind of environment we'll end up in. We could invite end up in an environment where, um, you know, most work is automated. But you know what? If we were to be in that environment, what would we do about unemployment? What would we do about salaries? What would we do about our economy? How would that work? Um, so I think there's lots of opportunity for things that aren't anything to do with technology to get in the way. So, for example, labor unions or politicians or you know international competition, all kinds of things that aren't really to do with tech, but are more to do with society economics are quite possibly going to kind of derail or shift the agenda around automation. It's pretty uncertain in the long term. No, absolutely. So let's bring it back. Instead of 10 years in the future, let's bring it back to right now. Let's talk to somebody who's running a procurement team, who's on the marketing team, who's a manager in in a business right now that wants to take the first step towards something like either RPA or, or some version of that. Where's a good place for them to start? Um, it's really, really important. Uh, in fact, I was talking to somebody just a, this morning uh, about this. It's really, really important to understand that RPA is one specific uh, overall piece of the puzzle around automation. It's particularly useful where you already have some, um, you've already been through some kind of probably some process re-engineering, and you've already identified work that is done in many places, but it can be standardized and it can be centralized. Um, so what you really want to be looking for is places in your organization where there are specific teams who are already doing pretty significant amounts of the same kind of work. And that work is probably very routine. It's very rules-based. It's very prescribed. So there's probably some kind of manual sitting somewhere saying, this is how you do this work. You know, you go to system A, you type this information in, you get the information back, you go to system B you look up you know, a certain reference code, that kind of procedural uh, level of prescription. If you can find departments uh, or, or teams where you've got significant work of that kind being done, that is a great place to start. Um, if you try and apply RPA um, to a situation where you have one person doing little bits of work here and there, it's really not so well defined, um, it's going to be quite hard and take quite a long time for you to really get a return on your investment because actually um, RPA does need the work to be designed in very particular ways for you, for you to get the right kind of return. So um, that's the great, that's the, that's really the best place to start is find places where the work has already been kind of re-engineered and streamlined um, and where it's already pretty predictable and prescribed. That's where you, you should really get started. 
Well, excellent. Neil, we could talk about this for several hours, I'm sure, but this has been a great start to get somebody to think about RPA, think about how AI is influencing that and everything. Thanks so much for being on the show. Where can people go to connect with you more? Uh, well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, best place for people to get in touch with me and find me is uh, on Twitter, really. And my handle is easy. It's Neil WD, N-E-I-L-W-D. Yeah, I can't get any easier than that, right? Excellent. Well, good. Thanks again for being on the show. We appreciate it. And we hope uh, everyone enjoys this. We look forward to connecting with you more in the future. That's a pleasure.